Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hey there, how's it going? Thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I am an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. Today, I'm really excited to share with you uh, a, a new advancement that I didn't know about in biotechnology, one that I'm going to guess you probably haven't heard much about either, but it's extremely exciting. And let, let me tell you why. Uh, up to this point, most of the commonly used uh, genetically engineered crops that we grow are engineered in a way to help the farmer grow more efficiently, uh, perhaps a Roundup Ready so that you know it can help uh, manage weeds better. Uh, perhaps it's BT corn or BT cotton that can help manage pests better. Well, we can also use biotechnology to actually create a healthier product. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Really exciting work being done by BASF, and they have now partnered with Cargill to roll out what they're calling EPA and DHA canola. Uh, What this is, is it's the ability for the canola plant to actually carry with it omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, These are fatty acids that are scientifically proven to improve brain health, to improve heart health, and traditionally have only been accessible through a diet that includes fish. Uh, But what if we can consume these omega-3 fatty acids that are proven to be healthy in foods we're already eating? So uh, you will find canola and canola-based products in snack foods, uh, in a lot of the foods you probably eat on a daily basis. So not only cooking oil, like canola oil, um, but the byproducts of the canola process uh, are used in a a lot of foods that that I'm guessing you already eat. In fact, check the ingredients. You probably are consuming canola daily. So what if there's a way without changing the flavor, without changing the texture, without changing any of your habits, we could make you healthier? I think that's pretty awesome. And that's what we're going to talk about today with our two guests. Uh, Our first guest, Dr. Andre Ankasha, is a native to Madagascar. He was trained as an agronomist in his native country before specializing in the field of plant biotechnology in both Europe and the U.S. Andre is passionate about developing innovative technologies that have the potential to improve the quality of life for everyone involved. And that certainly can be said about this EPA DHA uh, project that he currently leads. Also on the show is Dr. Carl Andre. Uh, he's currently the research manager for this EPA DHA canola project at the BASF plant science um, department. Carl earned his PhD from Michigan State while studying how plants biochemically convert simple sugars into oil. And following his PhD, uh, Carl continued to study plant lipid metabolism at Brookhaven National Laboratory. So I think you've already got the point that this is going to be an episode that will make you smarter about biotechnology and its potentials to really impact uh, not only the efficiency of production, but actually the nutrition of the products uh, that we consume every day. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Andre Ankasha and Dr. Carl Andre from BASF. Hey 
Really interesting show here today to talk about this uh, exciting partnership and project between BASF uh, and Cargill. And we have a couple of uh, members of the project here on the show in Dr. Andre Ankasha and Carl Andre. Thank you guys for being on the show. Thank you. Well, let's talk. Let's kind of dive right into this and and tell them. Uh, I I kind of know casually as the project called the Canola Connection or the EPA DHA Canola Project. Uh, Andrew, if you could just start by telling us a little bit about what the project is. Thanks, uh, Tim, and uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. Been listening to your podcast for a little while and having the opportunity to participate and talk about our project. That's uh, that's really great. Uh, you know, um, Carl and I, we're both uh, at BASF, and uh, at BASF, we pride ourselves to create chemistry for a sustainable future. Uh, what that means is that we combine economic successes with uh, environmental protection, but also social responsibility. And when it comes to this project, EPA and DHA Canola, what it means is that we address uh, societal demand to make the omega-3 EPA and DHA more accessible to consumer. And actually, I, w- I would be tempted to ask, Tim, do you know someone that takes omega-3s or are co- continuously having omega-3s in their diet? Would that be like fish oil, basically be an example of that? Exactly. Those gel caps that contain fish oil or also like salmon that, you know, are rich with uh, omega-3s, EPA, DHA. So good point. So those are exactly the type of uh, EPA, DHA, omega-3s that we have um, uh, developed and produced in, uh, in the canola. Uh, the challenge that we are facing right now as a society is that the availability of those EPA and DHA are limited and the very much needed new sources is, uh, is uh, needed for our uh, society as this population increases. So that's is right in the demand and the opportunity that we see. This um, new specialty canola that we have developed called EPA and DHA, this will provide a new source of EPA DHA, a renewable one, but also a plant-based source of EPA DHA, the first one in the market. So by having it, we don't have to rely only on fish oil anymore, uh, but we have more uh, more sources that will allow the broader population to have access to it. Very cool. So, so yeah, if I'm understanding uh, the terms correctly, the EPA and DHA, those are the healthy fats that are often found in fish. Is that right? That is correct. Absolutely. You got it. Those are the healthy fats that are found in fish, and they are also the type of fatty acids that are very well established in the scientific community for having heart and brain health benefits. So, you know, someone like you, someone like all of us here in our audience, when they're looking for healthy options, you can see, for example, in the USDA uh, dietary recommendation that this is part of the healthy diet recommendation, typically. Great. So, yeah, we all want healthier brains and healthier hearts. And, and uh, it's it's kind of a consensus, a scientific consensus that this EPA and DHA can can give us that. So, Carl, maybe you could fill us in. What does what does getting more EPA and DHA have to do with canola? Um, well, canola is the way that we are going to deliver EPA and DHA and make it more accessible to people. It's our production system. And canola oil offers a large number of applications that we can move into so that we can get more EPA and DHA to people. Um, I think that um, canola oil, normal canola oil, 
doesn't contain EPA and DHA. So we engineered it to have it. It's a good host, and canola oil is something that can be used in different um, processes to get to people. So what we want to do is put our EPA DHA oil into foods that people would normally eat, foods and beverages, or into nutritional supplements, um, and, and therefore you and I will have access to this. Uh, another application is in fish farming, which fish, uh, especially salmon, require EPA and DHA for, for their growth, but it's also, um, from our perspective, the fact that they contain EPA and DHA makes them healthy foods. So we, we're going to promote the production of healthy foods. We will incorporate EPA and DHA canola oil in places where normal canola oil may already be. So this might be in um, yogurts or in a bagel that you eat in the morning that's, that's baked with some oil in it. And with our product, what that means is that when you consume these foods, you're going to be consuming EPA and DHA. So you're not going to be entirely relying on a fish oil gel cap or on buying some salmon and eating it. We're, we're increasing the, the options that a consumer would have. And, and the fact that this is in canola oil, which is already a healthy oil, it doesn't have sensory issues that fish oil has, such as, you know, an off taste or smell. Um, being in canola allows us to put this in places where people can access it better. Yeah, I think this is a pre it's a pretty amazing uh, example of biotechnology. So, you, so you're, on one hand, you're making canola oil healthier, and on another hand, you're taking a, a, a very healthy uh, compound and, and making it more palatable. So, if you don't like the flavor of fish, you could still get your your EPA, your DHA. Uh, is this out on the market now, or or where does this technology currently stand? A great, uh, great question, Tim. So. This is uh, part of our uh, research and development project at BASF right now. Um, this is a pro product that we expect to hit the market by 2020 or afterwards, depending on the approval by the competent authorities. But of course, it's, uh, it's an exciting development and I can tell you we're more advanced right now in the development. It took us quite a bit of time to develop it because it's, uh, like I said, uh, you bring quite a few things together into the canola plant. But the great thing is that it will be something that can you and I can benefit in a very convenient and uh, accessible way down the road. So that gets us really excited. So at the current stage, do you, are you doing? Uh, are you still currently? I know it's not commercially available, but are you doing trials where you can actually grow this uh, this plant right now, the, the way that you you see it going genetically when it is commercial commercially available? Absolutely. You know, that's part of the development pipeline when you uh, bring something, a new crop, a new product. You have, of course, to test. Sometimes you start, uh, at the very beginning, you start, you know, of course, small scale, and then you increase the scale. And it's really important for companies in general that uh, at every different steps, you show that it works, that it continues to work, and also it meets the requirements that ultimately end users and consumers would accept. And there's no difference here. And we've gone through those different steps, and like I said earlier on, now we are in the advanced stage, and we're pretty excited of all the progress that we've made so far. And uh, really important is that we're able to produce those EPA and DHA in the canola oil, and we also see that um, 
uh, the opportunities down the road are also quite exciting. And uh, this is, uh, you know, for, for someone in the research and development, this is pretty exciting. Yeah, it's it's amazing what you all have been able to do. And obviously, uh, BASF uh, has a, a long history uh, of technological advancements in, in agriculture and in other industries. Uh, on this project in particular, you decided to partner with Cargill. Uh, what inspired that decision to make this a uh, to go out and find a partner like them? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's quite common, actually, to have this type of uh, collaboration, uh, you know, uh, the more technology you develop, sometimes it requires uh, much more uh, expertise to be brought uh, to the table. We at BSF, um, we have broad uh, expertise in the agricultural field. Um, Cargill also have broad expertise in the food and the feed business. When you bring the two together, you have the opportunity to really accelerate the development, but also the adoption of the product. So that is something that I think is, uh, is really um, important here. And ultimately, when we talk about, you know, uh, a project and a product that will benefit the consumer, bringing a product faster to the market is very critical. That's where I think the societal benefit li- lies. Very cool. And, and just for clarification, because I'm not a scientist, uh, as you probably picked up on already. <laughs> uh, so it's we often hear about omega-3 fatty acids being those healthy fats. Are EPA and DHA examples of omega-3s? Is that, am I saying that right? Yes, they are not the only omega-3s, but they are the omega-3 fatty acids that are most well understood to provide health benefits. Okay, and those health benefits have, have been known for quite some time. So uh, what made this possible to kind of start coming together now? Um, well, the, a combination of technologies, and and we... It, took many years to get there. So with current EPA and DHA production systems, which we first became familiar with, they're very difficult to scale up economically. So you can produce EPA and DHA in algae, for example, and you can grow this and, and feed it sugars, and it will convert the sugars into these fatty acids. But that's difficult to scale up, and it's very expensive. And so... Um, in addition to that, I mentioned earlier, canola doesn't normally make these things, so we really had to figure out how can we move the metabolism of algae into canola. And this involved first studying the organisms that make EPA and DHA, and we discovered the, the enzymes that, that can do this. And to make an analogy, this is... Um, we think of the enzymes as kind of like Lego bricks, that each algal organism has its own set of Legos to make EPA and DHA, and we identified all of those and characterized them, and then we started to combine them in different ways, and we combined our Lego bricks to get the most output from the pathway, and and this this was an enormous amount of work, and it's a huge achievement, and and so once, once we figured out how to build our pathway, uh, that was the first technological breakthrough that we made. The next was actually transferring all of that into the canola plant. And this was not an easy task because we had so many Lego bricks to, to speak. We had a lot of genes that we needed to put into the canola. And to do that, we, we had to find the right technology, the existing technology, 
for moving genes into plants was suited for small numbers of genes that would be in most other uh, GM crops now. We had a different situation. We needed to move a lot of genes, and so we had this advanced vector technology that allowed us to do that efficiently. And so the the discovering these these enzymes or Lego bricks, assembling them in the way that we wanted, and then finding a way to move them into the plants were the important breakthroughs that we made. And is that why uh, why EPA and DHA are the are the omega three fatty acids that you chose? Is because those are the ones that the enzymes could produce. But that's part of it, yes. And I think the other part is is because those are the ones that are well recognized as having health benefits, and and those are the the ones that in in algae, for example, or in salmon, those are the omega three fatty acids that accumulate to high levels. And, and so they were the, the targets that we could study really well and figure out. Okay. That whole process is pretty incredible. It sounds extremely time-consuming. Uh, do you know when the, these conversations started around BASF and so how long this kind of project has been in existence? Yeah. Um, you got it right, Tim. Um, definitely more than a decade to develop such a technology. And as Carl described it, you go through multiple steps, multiple development, and uh, developing technologies and uh, discoveries before you reach there. And uh, I'm really, I'm really impressed and also very proud of the team we work with because you know it's a team of passionate people, team of very dedicated, and highly qualified. And everybody in the team, every day when they come to work, they think of it like, hey, how can we make those EPA and DHA more broadly accessible and available? And that it takes many different steps, iterative steps. Sometimes it, uh, it leads to failure. Sometimes it leads to success. But that's, that's what uh, research and innovation development is. I think we're all familiar with different cases, you know, how long it takes to bring uh, an, uh, you know, Apple product to the market or other, other products. So that's, uh, it's very similar. It's just we're in a different field, in the, in the agricultural field. And I'm proud to say also that uh, in the ag field, Innovation has been always the driver of uh, what we've been, and this is uh, one of uh, those innovations that we're proud to bring to the, to the market soon. And, and Andrew, you're, you're the project manager for this canola project. Uh, roughly how many people are on your team that are working on this for BASF? You know, over a decade, I think it's going to be hard to count uh, how many people <laughs> have been supporting this. But all I can say is many, many people, many expertise. Of course, we need uh, technical uh, knowledge, scientific knowledge, very deep knowledge, but also we work with a lot of expertise ranging from communication to regulatory aspect to different areas because in the end, it's bringing all those expertise together that allows you to be successful and bring the product fast to the market. We need to understand what the societal needs are. We need to make sure that our products are aligned with the societal needs. And also we need to make sure that the timing is right when the product is needed. So that's all together. As a project manager, I can only be proud of uh, the people that we brought together and also the technology that we have developed and the perspective down the road for us and also for the, for the consumers. Yeah, I find this extremely fascinating because, like you said, you have to determine what society needs um, and also determine what can be done scientifically to get there. But also there's this whole other dimension of 
you know, when it comes down to selling this seed or selling these, you know, these traits, the customer is also going to be the farmer. You know, the farmer has to buy it and grow it so that it can be out there in the market. Uh, What is the benefit of something like this to a farmer? To a farmer, of course, it's a canola plant, right? Uh, But it's not um, any canola plant. It's a new specialty canola plant. And for a farmer, this would be an opportunity for diversification. This will be one of those high-value crop that a farmer can include in the rotation. And uh, from that, uh, you know right now that, um, for example, commodity prices are experiencing um, uh, a rather low um, economic situation. Everybody's looking for diversification. This will be one of the opportunities um, in the next decade that people could use in their rotation, uh, add more value to the farm. And I think that's also an exciting opportunity for us. And, you know, when you think of it, that farmers can benefit and consumer can benefit, I think this is really excellent opportunity for everyone. And have you, uh, I'm just curious because I come from, you know, an agribusiness background. And so I always try to think through kind of the logistics of how all this works. Um, if a canola crusher is going to process uh, canola like this, obviously it's it's a good deal for them because they can differentiate themselves from every other canola oil out there. Uh, so I guess the idea would be you'd have to get not only the farmers on board to buy the seed, but also the crushers on board to, uh, to crush it and make oil out of it. Is that, is that something that your, your team is responsible for, or is that more kind of on the Cargill side, uh, because they have canola crushing facilities? I think you're, you got it right. You know, you have to partner with, uh, key players in the market. Uh, Cargill is bringing that expertise. Um, we at BSF, we, we developed the technology from the plant side, the trade development, the regulatory aspect. And we are proud to partner with Cargill that can bring also the canola expertise, but also the processing and also marketing the oil um, down the road. And again, like what we discussed earlier on, you know, it's bringing the key players together enables us to accelerate the development of the product and also bring it to the market fast and also in a safe and reliable way. And that's very important. So, as we are developing the product right now, these are also important aspects that we continue to, to monitor so that uh, when we bring it to the market, we as a society will reap the benefits of all that effort upstream. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I commend you for what you're doing. I, I think it's a fascinating example of just how complex agriculture is. You know, you need all those key players on board in order to make something like this, make something like this work. Um, from from your perspective, you know, obviously there there's a lot of uh, conflicting opinions and, and, and uh, maybe some pseudoscience out there about what genetic engineering is and what it is not. Uh, how do you think this product will influence how people view plant biotechnology and genetic engineering? Yeah, you know, um, I think it's all about those questions are revolving around, you know, like, of course, food, uh, what people are looking for their food. And um, genetic engineering has um, contributed to, you know, developing new opportunities for, for farmers, but also for, uh, for consumers. Uh, for us, this type of product, EPA and DHA canola, this will bring um, new opportunities and opening up new area when the, the, the technology will bring valuable health benefits directly to the f- consumer. So here I would say that the, the main effect is really having the benefits directly to the consumer um, as opposed to the first generation being for mainly for productivity at the farm level.
Yeah, to actually enhance nutrition. I I, li- I live in Texas and we love chicken fried steak down here. So I, I can see myself in 2020 frying up some chicken fried steak uh, in canola oil and actually getting some uh, some omega-3 fatty acids out of it, which is pretty cool. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the opportunities are pretty, pretty open. Uh, like Carl mentioned earlier on, canola oil is uh, part of our regular diet. It's used in many different fashion and different areas. It's very well known by consumers. It's very well known by food and feed manufacturers. So you open up many opportunities where healthy ingredients like EPA and DHA can be um, uh, used and benefit consumers. So, hey, I look forward to, uh, you know, a fruit juice that may contain EPA and DHA or yogurt that contain EPA and DHA in the morning. And no concern at all that I forgot my uh, gel cups in the morning, but have my recommended dose um, available on a regular basis. That's really is a, I would say a dream come true for me personally. Right. And, and holding your nose as you swallow the gel cap so you don't have to smell the, the fishy smell, right? You know, that goes without saying, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I, at the end of every show, I, I usually like to ask uh, the guest about kind of their view on the future of agriculture. And I'd love to make it a little bit more specific of a conversation here while I have you. I mean, uh, both of you are, are on the cutting edge of technology. I, I think that when we talk about ag tech too often, we leave out the elephant in the room, which is, you know, genetic engineering and the technology that we're developing there, uh, because it's just kind of cooler to talk about drones and sensors and robots and that sort of thing. But really, this is the biggest impact ag tech has had, in my opinion, on, on agriculture up to this point. Um, so can we talk about the future of plant biotechnology? Where you guys see it going? What other kind of this is this is a solution I bet most people listening have never heard of. Like, oh, wow, we're going to put really healthy fat in, in canola oil. That's really cool. What other solutions out there do you see for the future of biotechnology? Um well, I think there's no shortage of challenges that need to be addressed. There's there's more people coming onto the planet all the time, and um, and we have you know we have to meet those those challenges. And I think that there's going to be more products coming that will benefit consumers directly. An example of that is a non-browning apple. Um, this kind of product in, improves shelf life, improves uh, palatability for people. So it's, I think those kinds of modifications are, we may see more and more of. And, and that type of technology may actually help change people's opinions and their skepticism about genetic engineering. And another part of it that I see, aside from the, the actual traits, is that the way genetic engineering is done is being improved. So you can talk about drone technology and it's up and coming. Um, I think there's technologies in, in plant biotech that are up and coming that will allow us to make different kinds of changes um, with more precision and faster, and hopefully we can bring solutions faster to the consumer and to the farmers. Um, I I don't think plant biotechnology is going to go away. I think it's going to be an integral part of agriculture and combined with all other kinds of technologies. And I think we as an industry are keeping public perception in mind and and trying to balance that with 
the challenges that the world faces. So it, plant biotech is going to be here. The innovations may may become more direct to the to the consumer. I think we would all like to see that, and consumers would as well. And it's going to be done in a more sophisticated way in the future. And if I may, Tim, I would say um, we all know those statistics. Um, by 2050, we need to nourish 9 billion people on the same planet, and uh, that will demand a lot of food, energy, and fiber sources. We need the panel of toolbox that we'll have to continue to produce safe and a reliable way food. And uh, I would say plant biotechnology definitely has uh, a bright future in that area. Uh, we need sustainable solution, and we need to continue to provide food for everyone. Uh, for me, the, there are a lot of game-changer technologies that are coming to the market, and uh, I would say using them safely, but also use, communicating about them to directly the public about the benefits. Like this one, when we talk about EPA and DHA, the benefits are very clear. And I think there will be more and more of those uh, uh, type of traits and also type of technology that will uh, reach the market. And this is a combination of our combining the societal needs and combining the knowledge and bringing them together so that everyone can benefit from it. I would love to know, just on a personal note for the two of you, did, did you find agriculture through an interest in biotechnology or was it the other way around? Did you find biotechnology through an interest in agriculture? I'll answer first, and I would say that I found agriculture through an interest in biotechnology. So in in school, I really realized that I loved looking at chemical structures, and um, organic chemistry was one of my favorite classes, and that's that's kind of I'm an outlier there. And and then I took a plant physiology course and fell in love with with plants. So I think first came my interest in in the technologies, and then it led towards agriculture. Bless you, Carl. I, uh, organic chemistry and plant physiology were my two biggest struggles in college. So I am so glad there's people like you out there. What about you, Andrew? <laughs> I'm more the opposite. Uh, I'm coming from a farming family, very small farms, um, trained as a ag um, uh, technical background and nothing about biotechnology until late in my uh, educational program. And that was like a wow moment. Wow, we can do that. There's so much potential. So you got this uh, excitement, but also understanding like uh, it'll take a little bit of endeavor. But in the end, when, when you get to learn about uh, biotechnology, get to learn about the possibility, it, uh, it's rather exciting, but also simple processes. and. Uh, and then you realize that uh, we've been doing it for many, many, many years as a human society. It's just like the technology is faster, the technology is uh, much more precise, and the technology offers more opportunities. So uh, coming from different angles, we come together and bring the best of each, uh, each experiences and opportunities and uh, developing a new product, addressing societal needs. I think that, uh, that's great. And like I said earlier on, leading a team like that and uh, being part of such an experience and sharing it today with you guys. It's, uh, it's just uh, phenomenal. Well, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I, I um, can't believe, you know, you feel like you, you keep up on what's going on in agriculture and then I, I'd never even heard of a project like this. And I think it's really, uh, really fantastic what you're doing. And, and since I probably won't have anyone on the show anytime soon from Madagascar, although I don't know, I might be surprised. What is agriculture like in Madagascar? 
Uh, agriculture actually is the basis of the economy in Madagascar. We grow a lot of um, staple food like uh, rice. We also grow some products that are more high value that maybe some of you might not know so much. It's vanilla. We're the largest producer of vanilla in the world. So when you buy natural vanilla, the likelihood is that it comes from Madagascar is extremely high. I think we produce about 70% of the natural vanilla production in the world. And uh, it's um, uh, probably more known for the cartoon Madagascar more than uh, its economy, <laughs> very likely. But it's also, I would say, because of the uh, heavy agricultural uh, uh uh, background in Madagascar, that agriculture is top of mind for someone growing in that uh, in that area. And naturally, uh, agriculture drove me was my first choice when I went to college. And I know for canola, it's a it's a huge crop in Canada. Uh, and I even know that there's some some farmers as far south as Oklahoma growing canola as well. It, are, uh, is North America the biggest market for this opportunity, or or what other countries are big canola producers? Yeah, so I think we'll, there will be two angles from it, right? So from production perspective, definitely North America would be um, an opportunity for, for growers. But the oil itself would be more for global because, of course, you know, um, we talk about health benefits of EPA and DHA. Those are globally uh, true and valid uh, needs. So the oil will be globally available. The, um, the production of canola will be in North America. Okay, great. Well, guys, I, I really appreciate you coming onto the show here and, and uh, filling us in on this exciting opportunity. I look forward to you know 2020 or, or beyond when uh, when we can kind of see the product of all of this work you all have been doing uh, on grocery store st- shelves and, and in our snack foods and everything else we eat. Um, if somebody in the meantime would like to learn more about the work you're doing, is there a place they could go to learn more about the project? Yeah, definitely. I think the you can uh, log into the BSF website in our uh, research and development uh, organization. You should be able to find references to our uh, biotechnology, plant biotechnology um, division, and also some of our uh, leading program where you can see all the different traits that we develop. Okay. Well, Andrew and Carl, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, very excited to watch this, uh, this whole program continue and, and the project take shape. So thanks again. Thanks, Tim. It's a pleasure. Big thank you to Andre and Carl for being on the show and sharing their expertise. I find this stuff just exceptionally fascinating. And also a big thank you to BASF just for being very transparent with the work that they're doing and being willing to share uh, the advancements that they're making in our industry on this show. Uh, as you may know, BASF is the lead advertiser for the Farm and Rural Network, which this show is a part of. Uh, that's not the reason these two guys were on the show today, but I do want to give them a special shout out. And if you haven't checked out already uh, the Farm and Rural Ag Network, you can do so at farmruralag.com. Hey, and thanks all as always to those of you who are leaving a rating and review on iTunes. This does actually uh, help very much, so I really appreciate it. This one's from DSK Review. Uh, it says a must listen. 
Tim does a good job of highlighting interesting people and interesting stories in the diverse field that is agriculture. This is a great way for anyone from the guy in the combine to the family at the grocery store to learn about the many facets of ag. I also appreciate the good audio quality. Side note, I am not sure why Smeagol has a line at the end of each episode, but maybe Tim will let us uh, know soon because I have no idea what he is saying. <laughs> this was actually touched on, on, I think, the last episode or maybe the one before it where uh, I did admit that, yeah, that is uh, my daughter on the very last section um, who has to keep quiet while recording this podcast. So she's very used to shushing people to make sure that uh, they are not interfering while daddy's recording his podcast. But anyway, DSK Review, thank you so much. And for all of you who have left a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts, really does help uh, spread the word about the interesting work being done in agriculture, such as that that you heard today. Thanks as always. We'll be back next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com, that's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,